Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Crossing Silos, promoting critical thinking with epistemic insight. The podcast that explores how we shatter subject silos and construct an education that is truly multidisciplinary. My name is Robert Campbell, and I will be your host throughout the podcast series. Through these podcasts, my guests and I will discuss the value of moving beyond a compartmentalised approach to education. In each episode, special guests will showcase how they engage with the Epistemic Insight Project, how Epistemic Insight frames their view of education, and how they use Epistemic Insight to influence their teaching of their chosen subject. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some thought-provoking discussion. Today, I am privileged to have Dr. Aga Gordon uh, from Christchurch Canterbury University and Adrian Warhurst from the University of Leicester joining me to talk about all things EI and epistemic insight. So, Aga, if you could start and introduce yourself and your interest in this project. Hello, everyone. As Rob said, I am Dr. Aga Gordon and I am a consortium lead at the Laser Research Centre at Canterbury Christchurch University. Uh, I lead the consortium of eight institutions um, that includes St. Mary's University and University of Leicester. Uh, so we're here today to talk with the, some of the consortium partners about the work we have done. And within our consortium, we essentially uh, lead the transformation of uh, teacher education in initial teacher education, introducing multidisciplinary uh, research-based uh, resources and strategies. Perfect. Thanks so much. So, Adrian, you come from a slightly different lens. You were previously a school teacher and now lead an initial teacher education programme at Leicester. Uh, so what was your initial interest in coming onto the project? Well, uh, I, I, first, I first knew about the, the, the project uh, before I moved to the University of Leicester because uh, I'd had a long-standing interest in looking at the relationship between science and religion in, in teaching in particular. And I'd known of, actually, the work of Barry Billingsley for quite some time through LASAR and various activities and had used it in my teaching. And when I moved to the University of Leicester, the opportunity came up to actually join, join in with the consortium. And uh, I, I used, used that uh, well. Um, it was a slow start because the pandemic hit and um, I found myself in a position of not able to follow through with many of the things I would have liked to have done at the time, but it didn't go away. It stayed and we've since been able to build up uh, a number of ways of working and a particular project that we undertook at the University of Leicester. Perfect. So that's really interesting that you talk about that um, science and religion as the, the theme. And obviously here at St Mary's Twickenham as a Catholic institution, that was, an, that was an input for us as well. So perhaps as using your scientific lens, you can talk about why you were interested in raising the voice of religious education as well. Well, partly from my own faith perspective of being a Christian as well, is that uh, I'd had to go through the process of deciding what I thought in, in, in oh so many ways. And uh, 
and, it, and it, that in itself is a journey to go on. And also, when I spoke with my trainees, and like Rob, prior to working at the University, I worked at the University of Newman, which again is a Catholic institution, and I had students came to me, science student teachers, uh, I think the most influential statement that was said to me is that one of the te student teachers said to me that a parent had said to her, how can you be a good Muslim and teach evolution? And at that point, it really was, I thought, we really do need to do something quite strong about this, something that actually breaks this mould of the conflict between science and religion and, and move it forward. At which point, we started working with the combination with the science and the RE students in particular at Newman. Well, uh, Aga, you bring quite a unique lens because you have your own Polish school, um, but you're also a computational chemist by profession. So perhaps you could talk through why you were interested in joining this, this particular project in education. Uh, yeah, so basically, yes, I'm a computational chemist and I worked for several years at the university in Poland, University of Wrocław, and I was working in multidisciplinary well all the time. However, what appealed to me with epistemic insight that you bring to scientific multidisciplinarity, also other subjects like social sciences and humanities, and a bit of religious education, which is useful and very, very necessary, especially in these days, um, real-world problems when ethical considerations are really important. Uh, so I joined the project initially as a project manager because I also have a background in business. I've got an MBA, uh, but then organically also got into research because you can't, once you're a researcher, you cannot lose research. <laughs> so I'm currently combining both uh, managing the project and leading the consortium with leading and gathering research and creating resources, co-creating resources with consortium partners. Brilliant. So you've, you've mentioned there the theme of kind of co-creating resources. So this s struck me when I started as a really organic project where we were working collaboratively across institutions. It wasn't the case that Canterbury were creating stuff and imposing that upon us. Perhaps you could talk through that, why that was your approach, whether we were all co-creating together rather than having one seminal resource that we were all dished out. Yeah, from, from the beginning, I thought it needs to be bespoke resources for particular institutions because we all have different backgrounds and we also teach different uh, levels of um, in initial uh, teacher education. So I worked with uh, Rob and uh, Adrian in secondary, but also other colleagues within consortium are primary. Each of us has a different educational background and different expertise. So being co-creating the resources gives us a learning space. So a knowledge exchange space when we can actually uh, learn from each other and we also learning from our students teachers because they also bring their own education and expertise from practice and the ways they they came through that point uh, to learn to become a teacher oh, amazing so perhaps you could talk us through we've we both sort of initially touched upon this journey that we've gone on um and adrian you mentioned it, it it starting kind of just slightly before COVID. So way back when, in those eons of time before COVID came and um, distorted what we were trying to do, we met at the Science Museum. Uh, and that was quite a, a dynamic and engaging consortium meeting. 
Um, so Adrian, perhaps you could talk through firstly what you got from that meeting and how it kind of further fueled your interest or did it further fuel your interest? Oh yes, that was it was it was a very good meeting that was. It, it brought to, it brought together people of like mind and it was good to go there and actually meet people I knew already as well uh, who, who, were who were already involved in the project. So at that point I decided, yes, I'll sign us up. <laughs> and uh, not knowing that the pandemic was coming, <laughs> but I'd sign us up and looked at the resources and looked at what we, what we could do. And the first point was simply to say, let's, let's, let's get this survey out that, uh, that the uh, consortium are doing and see what actual our students say and do. So that was the very first thing we did. Now, I also, being, being somebody who likes to take advantage of situations, I gave our students the survey to do on the morning that I was introducing them to uh, method, methods in education research, uh, because I said, well, let's experience being a participant in a piece of research before we start talking about how you're going to do your research. So I never like to waste an opportunity with one thing and another. And that strikes me as something that's probably quite important in working interdisciplinary and also in terms of epistemic insight, is to say that you don't just silo everything you do. You actually broaden it out and draw points out of things all the time. But almost immediately after we got that sorted, it was all about all of a sudden, pandemic struck, and we went into survival mode <laughs> in the university and uh, sort of went quiet on the EI front for a while. That was also challenging for me because that conference was my first conference I organised when I started the post. So you said you knew already people in the area. I didn't because I was research scientist, so completely new to educational research. And also my task was to get to know you, all of you, and then convince you that you will come on the journey with us to gather that surveys initially. So we have done the baseline, but it was a bit of struggle because everyone was so struck by pandemic and uh, new ways of working in university. Uh, but we did manage to gather quite a lot of data, uh, which is currently being analyzed. Perfect. So perhaps you could talk me through, firstly, the justification for who you got in that room, because I remember that day and there was people from the church, there was people from initial teacher education, there was people from further education. It really was a space where there were different voices. There wasn't just one siloed voice of teacher education. So perhaps you could talk through why that was your lens. And then Agav, you could kind of explain, despite the challenges of COVID, where we went during the pandemic. So the, the starting point was obviously teacher education and schools, because where the Barry started project, Barry had an experience working on epistemic insight research and uh, creating resources first uh, in primary and secondary school and initial teacher education. But slightly because my background was different, I was thinking we can do it for teachers. Why can't we do it with different disciplines as well? And then opening uh, up their um, eyes to working with other multidisciplinary ways, uh, which we started, but initially it was just schools. So schools, secondary, primary, further education and initial teacher education. And um, I also liked uh, expanding out of the 
church uh, universities because that, that is certain specific and obviously very relevant to religion and science um, uh, discourse. But I also think, uh, and I wanted to come out of just analyzing two disciplines and trying also, you know, epistemic insight um, in humanities and social sciences and working all together. So essentially expanding on interdisciplinary working. And that's again my experience because I was very interdisciplinary, as I said already, but when I joined Epistemic Insight, I realized that I wasn't really fully interdisciplinary because I wasn't working with humanities, social sciences, and I thought it wasn't really necessary. So that was also learning curve and open, uh, eye-opening for me. And it was good to try to engage different universities, bigger, smaller, um, you know, different, um, with different dynamics and different ways of working to basically enrich our way of working and um, making it uh, better. Mm. So I'm kind of COVID struck. We all, Adrian, I think you were talking about going into survival mode. Um, we certainly here at St. Mary's, we had to overnight rethink how we did teacher education for it to move online. Um, and so for us, EI presented some opportunities because there was now spaces to bring people together online. Um, so it's really interesting that you were talking about that interdisciplinarity because actually what we did, first of all, was similar to what you were saying, Adrian, is we brought the scientists and the religious education people together kind of as the first step um, to shatter that image that you can't be both a scientist and somebody of faith. Um, so Adrian, you were talking about that. You were kind of somebody who happened to identify as being a scientist and somebody of faith. Is that something you've had to challenge frequently throughout your career? Um, it's not so much challenge, but uh, there, are, there are some anecdotes that illustrate some of these things along my Do career. Share. When, I was, uh, when I was a reasonably young teacher, I'm not so young now, but when I was a reasonably young teacher, I, I thought, I'll try, I'll, I'll try this with my group. With my with my year ten, and we were we were looking at uh, origins of the universe, uh, and I thought I know I'll, I'll I'll deliberately put the God question in there, and and it was it was all right, uh, but my abiding memory was this pupil looking at me. She didn't say anything. She just looked at me as as if to say, "What on earth are you doing this for? What on earth has this got to do with science?" And I realised that at that point, I was actually approaching it in a very naive way. Hadn't really thought through what it was. Because it was important to me to try and make this compatibility work, I felt that everybody else would be interested in it. And guess what? They weren't. Uh, and so I learned something from that point about how to approach. That's sort of the, like the first anecdote. Um, and then it's uh, other sorts of other sorts of... Uh, another anecdote, I've shared the one already about the student who said to me, oh, I don't, I, I, you can't, whether a parent had challenged them to say you can't be a good Muslim and teach evolution. Another one is, is every year at the start of a course, we talk to PGCE students about the purpose of science education. And every year without fail, coming back is something about how do we, and how do we, help students, young people, become a part 
of the decision-making processes around them? How does science help them make informed citizen decisions and all of that? And the purpose of education for science education isn't for them to create new scientists necessarily, but it's about helping everybody be better citizens, better people and better able to work in their own lives. And that anecdote that keeps coming through again and again points me towards this idea of epistemic insight as being really important for the, to achieve the goal that students tell me they want to achieve for science education. I mean, that's, it's, 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 I'm al almost laughing inside because the very first lecture that we do at St Mary's is called The Purpose of Science Education. Uh, and we've changed that now to what is science. And we very one of the very first things we do, and those people in that space have a variety of disciplines that they've done their undergraduate degree in, not all of them explicitly science, although science related. We've got some economists, some with law degrees, some with food science degrees. And we asked them, if you were to define science in one word, what would it be? And we were expecting them to say experiment or practical or fun or explosions. But actually, they all came up with a different word. There wasn't one word that was repeated more than once. Uh, and that was really interesting because that gave me the encouragement to kind of check, OK, well, maybe this is something that's worth further, further exploration. Uh, so, Adrian, perhaps before we move on to talk about kind of what we explicitly did once the pandemic allowed us to, perhaps you could kind of talk about where where you're at with the science curriculum and and the tools that EI gives you. Does it give you the tools to teach the science curriculum better? Is it about critiquing the science curriculum? Is it about critiquing the emphasis that teachers put in the science curriculum? What's the journey? What does it do? Well, part of the, I think that one of the things about the journey is uh, the what is science question that you've just talked about, Rob, is, is, is important. And again, a key word that keeps coming up is theory. Because science, science is a theory-laden subject. But it also has particular sets of practices and notions of the epistemology of the subject, the knowledge, how the knowledge is built up, that follow particular rules. And they have been negotiated long and hard by those who are much cleverer than us around this table at the moment uh, around what is science and how can something be called scientific knowledge. And it builds a very strong edifice, a very strong set of, set of ideas about what science is. Yet... Where, yet there's a notion that science is this very strong subject yet out there and this is amongst even the PG science PG students who come to me is that oh it's only a theory and therefore it's it can be challenged in the same way as I've got a theory about what the next bit of the plot line in Coronation Street is going to be and it's treated in the same way as our vernacular use of the word theory. So that's just one example of where within there that we need to look at this. And the, the way epistemic insight does it with the tools is it says, can you look at this from a different perspective? The same question, different perspective. And this, this idea of designing big questions that enable them to be answered through science or part of it, and identifying what can be answered through science and then looking to other disciplines to where it goes. Because what that does is it helps 
the students, and in particular the student teachers I've worked with, know what defines science and helps them identify their own epistemological position about what science is. Because not everybody within science even shares the same view of what science is. And there's a wide variety of views there. And it's about helping them do that. Because the research tells us that the views a teacher hold strongly correlate with the way they teach their pedagogy and what they do. So taking two ends of the spectrum, if you strongly believe that science is an incontrovertible body of knowledge that is the best way of knowing anything about the world, that is how you will teach it. You will teach it as that strong body of knowledge. You may well adopt more instructional methods and direct instructional methods rather than inquiry-based methods. If, however, at the other end of the spectrum you say science is but one way of understanding the world, it has a set of rules and norms, however, we need to explore those rules and norms to help us understand what the knowledge is that we've developed, you're perhaps more likely to lean towards an inquiry-led and an inquiry-based form of science teaching. And so we know that that's the case, and that has been researched in various locations both in the States and in, this, and in this country in particular, that comes up with various definitions of instructionists, constructionists, etc. There's ways of looking at this and exploring that. But they still all work within the science silo. And what epistemic insight does that is different, it says we go out of our silo to help us understand it more. And by doing that, we not only get a better understanding of what science is, we get a better understanding of how to answer the big questions that our children are interested in, that we teach in school, and how to do that in a way that is sensitive to their beliefs and backgrounds, and without, uh, for want of a better way of saying it, trashing their worldview, because we might think science is better. No, oh, perfect. Thank you. I mean, Aga and I have furiously been nodding at you for the last three minutes. So Aga, perhaps you could talk through the tools that we've produced that help us achieve that aim that Adrian so beautifully uh, illustrated there. So, yeah, we've got several tools which we adapted for our work uh, within consortium, but um, generally the most popular and the very effective yet simple tool is discipline wheel, where it looks literally like a wheel and it's got... Um, a place to put a big question in the middle uh, with several disciplines um, around it. And the disciplines can vary, depends where you need that discipline, um, will it be used. So for primary school, they will have simple disciplines like science, English, maths. And then if you go more advanced, you can then um, expand on disciplines, breaking science into scientific disciplines, um, either chemistry, physics and biology, or you can go in more details. So uh, biochemistry, physical chemistry and so on. And I, I've recently actually used it with engineering students. So we were exploring a question around sustainable energy and wind turbines. Um, so it was very interesting because they went initially through just sciences and then I asked them, can you break it down further? They, so we, we together worked on engineering disciplines, but to actually get them to other disciplines which are not science related, that was another step. Uh, so we created our own discipline wheel with um, 
uh, other related disciplines like ecology and geography and history and ethics and business and sociology and psychology. Um, another tool which is very useful is a bubble tool, which is related to what Adrian was saying, you can break down the questions into smaller and bigger. So there will be very scientific questions which can be answered by scientific research or science, scientific disciplines. Um, and then those we call that they are amenable to science and then there will be questions which cannot be answered by science. Therefore, we would need to add another questions and another discipline. So both tools are really useful. Um, for exploring big questions from different angles and also exploring norms of thoughts and methods within disciplines which are very useful for um, this enriched exploration and answering big questions which young people and we all face in today's world. Amazing, thank you so much. So um, perhaps we could dig a little bit deeper and look explicitly at one of the sessions that we co-created. Um, so during the pandemic, as I said, we at St. Mary's looked at a collaborative session between science and RE, and we looked at the question, should Save Your Siblings be legalised? So we then, um, after the pandemic allowed us to do so, took that to Leicester. So Adrian, talk about how you adapted that uh, resource for your audience. Yeah, but, um, the context for, the, for when we introduced the, res the resource for us was that uh, on the previous session with our science groups, we'd talked about what are the controversial issues we come across in science. And the usual suspects came up, evolution, God, religion, and uh, genetics, modification. Uh, there was a good long list that our, our, our science teachers are very well aware of where science can have an impact on controversial issues and an understanding that they can, that it can bring to it. So it was a perfect setup for coming in and doing the Save, the save Your Siblings. And um, what I was interested in from that was how would that help them going forward into their teaching practice, because this was prior to them going on their long teaching practice, open up their thinking to be able to allow pupils to bring what they already have with them into a lesson, even if it isn't what they're bringing, isn't specifically science, but it's something about their worldview, something about the way they do that. Because it's very common, we, ex we, we, expect, we, we expect our science teachers to take into account children's ideas about science so that we can do something to help support them and we can help them transform their views if they need to, if they're carrying misconceptions about science, etc. However, we then often just close it down and say, because it's not directly about science, you need to leave that at the door. And I wanted to have this session to be able to open this up for our students so they realised that it was perfectly acceptable and perfectly OK. And in fact, not just OK, but essential to allow these views to come in and be worked with. So Save Your Siblings was like our... our um, uh, Rob led this for us, and it was an example of how to set one up and do it and the idea was was our student learnt how to use particularly discipline wheel and and looked at the bubble tool. i think they looked at the bubble tool a little bit but mainly discipline wheel in that and, and found it good then i took over and did one on um how do we know something is alive in in similar vein uh, and so hopefully what we did was we asked our students to partake in 
workshops that we could do with children, but obviously as, as adults at this point, and bringing their wealth of experience to it. And then what I thought, how do I know what they know? And this was where we said, okay, I'm going to ask you now to make a video that tells us about what you found out about epistemic insight. And that was about the brief, I think, wasn't it? We, we really didn't give them much of a brief at all. Really didn't want to influence what they did. Uh, and, and I think that then encapsulated quite a few things at that point. And they did a brilliant job because mm. you were showing that videos at uh, the conference we organised in the summer. Yeah. And so we, we picked up, we, uh, I picked up uh, for the conference in the summer, three, three themes came through from there. It was the, they all wanted to make a definition of epistemic insight, to say it was knowledge about knowledge. And at this point, their definitions were pretty much reading back to us what was in the literature, what was in the information we'd given them already that day about what epistemic insight was. But it hadn't been, in, didn't feel as though it was embedded in them yet. But they were, they'd got that bit. They'd got the, um, they'd gone through the recall bit. Then we had we had a group that said, okay, we're going to illustrate this by now putting a big question in and going round the uh, discipline wheel and seeing what's in there. And it was, they, they demonstrated their knowledge of the tool and how that might help them. And finally, one of the other students talked about um, being given permission to do this. Being given permission that they, they suddenly felt Oh, I can do this in school. You've given me permission. So they'd written down on there in the video bit the word agency. They didn't use the word agency themselves. They used the word permission. But this was about agency. And this was something that we could provide for them in this with the agency. I thought, yes, I think that's exactly what I wanted out of this. And so they did. A, so that was, that was where that came to. Um, since I've gone back and had another look at some of the bits of video, and there's more in there, and there's, there's, there's more nuances within there to, to draw out. But I think for the purposes of now, that's probably sufficient for us, isn't it? So my, my, my final question to you, Adrian, is, so what's next? Next, um, next is to build on that and to, again, build on with this year's students who still say, yes, we want science to be about supporting young people to be able to make informed decisions in their life around all sorts of things. And a good suggestion, and again, another anecdote, lots of anecdotes. Um, one of the students said, so they can decide which makeup to buy. And we thought, I thought, oh, that's a good one, because uh, that's important, because lots of people don't want their makeup to be uh, animal tested, or they don't want certain things in there that have uh, previous chemicals that were only available because they've been animal tested, etc. So there's some important, there's some important points there. Um, and also, then that actually helps us do that. And, I, and I've trailed it now a little bit, so I've built it into the programme a little bit more. haven't actually introduced Epistemic Insight Project, but I've introduced the idea of how do we become understanding of our epistemology around science and how are we going to do that in the context of the other subjects and the things children bring to, to lessons. So they've been trailed a little bit. And so when we come back after, um, after, after Christmas... We'll do another session which will have the workshops in it, an introduction to epistemic insight, formal introduction to it, some workshops. And with a colleague, we're hoping to develop uh, a workshop around the finding of King Richard III, which is particularly good in Leicester, 
because that's where he is. And um, we've also got access to the professionals who were involved in the, in the King Richard III discovery. And it also happens to coincide with the release of The Lost King, which is the uh, film uh, uh, that takes it from the Ricardian Society's point of view about how King Richard III was discovered. And we feel that that could be a very good way of opening up a discourse in there. And we have a, I have a new colleague to work on that who's come to do history in RE with us who uh, is very interested and very much wants to do this. And also, what I'm hoping to do is to set up some interviews with our students about um, how they feel about their agency, how they feel that what has happened around them has supported their agency, using a, a, a model of agency that's sort of like an ecological model of agency that looks at the external factors as well as the internal motivations around agency and how that, and how that works in particular. One more thing I've planned for in there, and I did a little bit of work already with my PGCE students, is to an alternative way of looking at what a teacher's subject knowledge is, which talks about four quadrants of subject knowledge, where you've got professional knowledge and professional attributes and working together with professionals in your subject area, the, the pedagogical content knowledge of your subject, the content knowledge of your subject, and how your epistemological identity develops, which is where the EI fits into that really, really well. So hopefully we'll have some ideas around how that might be used to help students think about their knowledge and think about their knowledge about their knowledge in particular. Amazing. That sounds really exciting. So um, that is clearly above and beyond the minimum entitlements of the CCF, but you've clearly articulated there how you're using research to really inform quite an ambitious curriculum. That's for me anyway, as a, a fellow practitioner, that's really exciting to hear. So Aga, final question for you. How does Adrian's story compare to some of the others on the consortium? Before I say that, I actually was going to say that it's, it sounds amazing what Adrian proposes, and I'm really looking forward to all us creating again that session mm, yeah. and also to the evaluation of research because if we get the final data we will be able to then um, analyze the impact we've done over a longer period. Uh, coming back to your question Rob, um, it will be a very long story if I talk about everybody because I worked with every single um, consortium partner and we co-created bespoke um, sessions. What's the most interesting is that uh, working even with secondary, if we're talking now about secondary trainees, and even using very similar questions, for example, our um, iconic, um, <laughs> how did Titanic sink? Um, uh, we didn't do it with Adrian, actually, but uh, normally if students explore it, it's a so-called bridging question. So they mostly explore it from the point of view of science and history and maybe throwing a little bit of geography. But I worked with students at the University of Birmingham and we had a wonderful mixed cohort of geographers, historians, uh, various scientists, so chemistry, physics and biology, and also RE. And it's so fascinating to actually see how um, they, in a creative session, explore that question 
starting from different perspectives. So scientists will explore from science and then at history and geography in little bits. But those students were starting from their own specialists. So, you know, in geography, they started talking about tourism and business. Um, RE, um, naturally multidisciplinary in certain group of disciplines, started exploring it from point of view of greed and selfishness. And it's just amazing to see different angles and see it in action, how it enriches all our work within um, epistemic insight. And sometimes when I worked um, with University of Hull, um, those students were primary, so they kind of more multidisciplinary by definition because they, they meant to teach all their subjects, but will have their own discipline as well. So again, that brings different perspective and um, it's brilliant that we, we all learn I learned certainly a lot from, from trainees and from all the partner colleagues working with me. So it's very exciting to think about next step of the journey. And we, we're having those conversations with Scottish university and universities actually, because we have two of them on board uh, currently and there are new partners coming in. So I do look forward to working uh, further on epistemic insight within consortium. And, leading that uh, transformation collectively um, and making a difference. Amazing, you summarised that really well. Uh, and that acts as a beautiful segue to our very next podcast where we have my colleague uh, Sarah Batty, who is our history lead. And she is talking with us about why did the Titanic sink and the journey that she's gone on on doing that session for three consecutive years um, on the EI project and the changes that she's made and how she's beginning to include different voices into that conversation. So tune in next time for our very next podcast where we discuss that in more detail. Uh, Aga, Adrian, thank you so much for your time. Um, sadly, we have run out of time. We could go on with this conversation for hours, I'm sure. Uh, but for now, listeners, I will say... Adieu and tune in next time.